Hi, beautiful beings. Welcome to the Joanne Oswald Jones podcast. I'm Joanne, your host, and we're here. We have arrived at another Friday, another episode. Let's roll on the weekend. But before we do that, joining me for a really insightful and inspiring conversation today is the amazingly talented Laura Bruno. Let me share some information with you about Laura. Laura is an astrologer. She's a medical intuitive. She's a Reiki master teacher, a life coach, an author, and an artist. And if that isn't enough, she's passionate about spending time in nature and is an organic landscape gardener too. Those professional skills and that lifestyle is not really what she had in mind. But in 1998, after a traumatic brain injury, Laura lived in near total disability for four years. And it was during this time that she found herself immersed in a journey of deep meditation, shamanic journeying, herbal remedies, energy medicine, the power of prayer, visual therapy, and healing her body with optimum nutrition. As part of her own recovery in 2001, Laura actually began helping others to heal their bodies in a way that traditional medicine couldn't help them. And since then, she has built an incredibly successful private practice. She's in high demand. She's on a mission to inspire and help others in their personal and emotional development. So let's not waste any time. Let's just jump right in. Laura, it's so lovely to have you here. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks. I'm really looking forward to our conversation, I have to say, because is there anything that you don't do when it comes to personal development? It's your your creditations are incredible. Absolutely incredible. So I'm looking forward to getting stuck in. But listen, I just wanted to say, because I came across your profile, I was doing some research and I came across your blog and I was immediately drawn to everything that you speak about and your teachings and your wisdom and your insight. And I thought this is a woman that we have to have on the show. So I reached out to you and you very kindly came back to me. And you know that my show is all about human potential and it's all about helping to spread the information and the stories and information so that people can step into their own authority, you know, and step into their own inner security. Because I think, I think there's a lot of people out there who are lost and rely on external information in order to navigate their lives. And obviously your strength is actually, no, don't go outside of yourself, go within. So you're just a perfect, perfect guest to, to you know, spread your magic and your insights and, and help people realize that they can do that. So, but I wanted to start today at the very beginning because your life has had, well, what a tapestry, what a journey. So do you want to just start and talk to us about, you know, when you were young, you were very intuitive. And then you had that faithful, fateful, should I say, situation in 1998. So just take us all on a journey with you and we'll get the conversation going. So, and first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's lovely to connect with you. Mm. Um, so I guess going back to childhood, probably the big thing that that I didn't realize was such a big thing at the time, but it turned out to be a big thing was my paternal grandfather was my very, very best friend. 
in the world when I when I was a little girl. And he died when I was three. Oh. And I I remember very clearly the day that he died. He was my best friend, but all the adults were sitting on the couch crying. And as a three-year-old, I was going around and just holding each of their hands and comforting them and saying, it's going to be okay. It'll be okay. And I continued to communicate with my grandfather as though he never left. And I didn't know that other people couldn't do this. <laughs> so okay. so yeah. you could see him, you could still see him. Could you? He would mostly come to me in dreams, but then he would tell me things in dreams. And then the next day or a week later, depending on what the information was, it would happen. Or he would leave me a, a sign somewhere. I remember one time uh, we used to go to this park we could walk to. It was about a mile from our house, maybe a half mile. And uh, my mom, my sister and I would, would go there. And one day I lost my hat and uh, it was like my very favorite hat. I was totally bummed about this lost it, absolutely couldn't find it. We went back to the park, we looked everywhere and I had a dream and my grandfather appeared to me and said that my hat would be under the special tree that I liked. Oh, and it God. rained and rained and I, I was like, mom, can we go to the tree? And she was, no, it's raining. And so I thought, oh, I'm never gonna find my hat. This is so sad. And sure enough, the next time we went to the park, I was like, oh wait, grandpa told me to check under this tree. And my hat was there. It was perfectly fine, perfectly dry. And so I used to have magical things like that happen all the time when I was young, but I didn't know that that wasn't normal until I got a little older. And uh, I would often have precognitive dreams and, um, and I would share them and then they would come true. And so I was kind of that spooky kid. <laughs> yeah, the one that goes, don't listen to her, whatever she says happens, you know. <laughs> did your parents, did your, you, know, you know, they say that when we come into this lifetime as children, you know, we are very open, right? We're still connected to spirit. Did your parents encourage that or were they like, what is this child on? You know, what what's going on here? So... My dad was a physicist, uh, he had a PhD in physics and had been a physics professor and then went into uh, computer programming or something like that. So he was really not interested in this sort of stuff, except that he would, I found this out later, that he would actually come to tuck my sister and me into bed at night. And I used to talk in my sleep and my dad would ask me questions like a sleeping oracle. <laughs> so, oh, really? so even though when I was awake, he totally didn't believe this. I, I learned this actually from uh, an ex-boyfriend of mine who, who had very much encouraged all my intuitive dreams and psychic hits and medical intuitive stuff after the brain injury. But we had long been broken up and he said, you know, I had a conversation with your dad one day and I was like, what? He said, yeah, I called up your dad. And I was like, why? And he said, I, I forget what the reason was, but they had a long conversation. And, and he said, your dad might tell you that he doesn't believe in any of this stuff, but he listens to everything that you say and he totally believes in it. And what he said was, if, if Laura said that tomorrow the sun's not going to come up, I, I wouldn't believe her. But if the next day two purple suns came up and, and there was something very strange going on with the sun, I, I wouldn't be surprised. And so wow. I guess my dad was more open to it than I thought. Yeah. Um, my mom is a pretty conservative Christian. So 
growing up, there was always this kind of debate of if I was the devil or not. So, um, but she's always been, she lives her life from a place of faith. And even though we express that differently, in a lot of ways, we're very similar. And after I had my brain injury, she really connected with me because she's much more of a right brain kind of person, whereas my dad was very left brain. And so it seems like prior to my head injury, I had this very intuitive side that would just bust out, you know, whenever I couldn't control it. Fantastic. But, oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying fantastic. You know, it's fantastic that you didn't suppress it, that you just carried on being you as a youngster, you know? Yeah. And I tried to suppress it as I got older because I found it was getting weirder and weirder and I was having information for people and I didn't want to say it because sometimes it was difficult information. I was getting a lot of information on people's health and I didn't think that was any of my business. And um, when I was in graduate school the first time, uh, I... I would just intuitively sense what was going on with the people. And a lot of people in grad school are very stressed out. And and I would just empath all of that. But then I was also this weird matchmaker for roommates and (laughs) apartment mates. And, you know, it it was a strange thing. So I kind of had this sort of dual personality thing going on where on the surface, I was very rational. I, you know, total nerdy English major. And then kind of on the side, everybody knew, well, if you have an issue, like go talk to Laura, because she'll tell you some stuff. <laughs> you should have started charging when you were at graduate. You should have charged, right? You should have been no kidding. A five bucks a question, please, you know. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So tell me, um, are you an empath? Oh, like on steroids, yes. <laughs> yeah. Because I know there are some people who are an empath, which my understanding is that you you feel what other people are feeling. So you can walk into a room and you can sense that uh, Joe Bloggs over there is feeling anger and you can feel his anger, right? Mm-hmm. And then there are other people who are just highly intuitive that can tap into, you know, the divine above us or around us or, or tap into, you know, um, spirit, for want of a better word, but don't necessarily... Um, connect or can can feel what other people are feeling but you've got the whole lot going on haven't you yeah I've taken all those quizzes like the highly sensitive person I took uh, Judith Orloff's test and uh, the empath survival guide and the psychic test so I have all the clairs and basically I, I have to work to have a filter rather than to not have one <laughs> Oh, wow. So you came in with a really big mission. And, and tell us, talk us into the in, into the accident in 1998, because obviously you came in with this path, that was what you were here to do your mission and your life's work. Um, and although you had the, the skills and the ability, it wasn't something you wanted to do, right? Oh, no, not at all. Nope. <laughs> Interesting. Why? Because, because was that because you felt different or why? Well, I 
felt like it was weird. Um, certainly my dad was a very strong presence and his, his concern was that I was going to go crazy and wind up living on the streets. And when you have a parent that says that to you all the time and, and is saying, go to graduate school, that's your path. You're very eccentric. If you're a professor, no one will really notice. You'll have an excuse. If you're out in the regular world, you're nuts. You're not going to make it. And so he was just pushing this path. And meanwhile, I did fine in the corporate world. I'm not meant to be in the corporate world. I was definitely kind of the the weird person in the corporate world, but but like I can function there. academia was not actually a good fit for me on the surface it would seem like it was because I really love learning I I was constantly reading my middle name is Paige P-A-I-G-E but my sister used to go like this when I was a kid to be the bookworm like Laura Page P-A-G-E because I was always reading (laughs) So, so in that regard it made sense a really independent intelligent woman with just these most incredible gifts. So you kind of, you had a battle going on, right? Definitely. Yeah. And shortly before my brain injury, I, so I, I took two years off of graduate school. I went to university of Chicago, got my master's degree. It was, I hated it actually, but I did fine, but it just, I thought it was the school. I was like, Oh, this is, you know, I, I really just was reacting against it, but it, it turns out it was just, it was academia itself. I, I just don't really belong in that kind of a straight jacket. I, um, I want to write novels and, and the whole analysis of it. I just felt like oh, I'm good at it, but it's, it's not my truth. It's not my path. And I feel like if I hadn't had the brain injury and I had gone into academia, something else would have taken me out of it because it was just, it just wasn't a good fit for me. Um, I have a lot of friends who are academics or ex-academics. Actually, I have a lot more friends who are ex-academics. But, um, so I, I kept getting signs that graduate school wasn't the right path for me, even before the first time. And then I thought, well, I'm just I'm going to get my master's degree and then I'll maybe it's because I don't like being poor and I don't like having an ugly student housing apartment so I'll I'll have a sales job and I'll earn the money that I need I can have nice furniture and then I'll go to a different graduate program and everything will be fine so this was my plan and uh and this is what I was doing and then I started having all of these recurring dreams the gist of which was quit your job uh withdraw your application to graduate school and go do spiritual work, become a landscaper and a poet. And I was like, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. Are you kidding me? My dad's not going to like that. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I, I floated it by my parents. My mom was kind of like, interesting. My dad was like, you're nuts. What is this? No. And I just, I wasn't strong enough. I mean, if I had uh, known then what I know now, I don't know. I might've still needed the brain injury just because it it was a complete rewiring of my brain. Basically the solution was it it took away my rational side until I was willing to fully embrace the intuitive side. And so, I mean, I had no rational side for like four years. And tell us about the actual, well, tell it. So you tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us. So, So basically you were having these dreams that were saying, quit your job, you know, quit graduating and what happened then 
So I, I was pretty much trying to negotiate. I, I'm, I've got a lot of planets in Gemini. So I was trying to cut deals. I was like, okay, fine. I'll teach a spiritual class when I, when I do English literature and I'll have a little garden. And it was, nah, it just wasn't working. And so I, the morning, uh, the night before my car accident, I was traveling for work. I was staying in a hotel and I almost got hit by a semi truck and some other truck. And I, I was on the way to go to a gym and I was like, okay, I'm not going on, I'm not going out on the road tonight. That morning I woke up the following morning and I just knew I was like, I'm going to have a car accident today. I, I shouldn't leave the hotel room. I'm going to, I'm going to get into a car accident. And I didn't want to call in sick to work because I thought, well, they already think I'm weird. <laughs> so, so my intuition was screaming at me, don't leave the hotel room today. And I thought, well, I'll just drive really carefully. But I, I read John Donne's Holy Sonnet 14 out loud as a prayer. I'm not going to quote it here, but you can, you know, look it up sometime if anybody's put interested. In, I'll put it in the information, in the episode information for people. Yeah, it's intense. You shouldn't read that out loud with conviction unless you really want your life to change. So I read that out loud and, and I was like, look, I can't do this. But if this path is really that important, then just make it happen. Because I, I can't do those things. I can't just quit my job and have no plan. And about an hour and a half later, two hours later, I woke up at a red light with all these honking horns. I heard a crash before that happened. And I thought, wow, somebody really got it. And then I woke up and everybody was honking. I thought I was in my bed and it was my alarm clock. And then gradually I realized, oh, the woman behind me is freaking out. Oh, I was the one who got it. So I pulled to the side of the road and uh, what had happened was I was stopped at a red light. I was the third car in line and I guess the light turned green and the person behind me saw the green light and was driving fast and didn't brake. And so she just dipped underneath my car and like catapulted it forward about 20 yards. So, um, yeah, I don't know how long I was out. It was probably not, you know, really long, but it was long enough that traffic was really honking and that the woman behind me was starting to get out of her car and just really freaking out because I wasn't moving. Oh, she had no idea that you had obviously been seriously injured. She might've had some idea because when we pulled to the side of the road and she asked for my license and registration, I didn't know what those things were. And I I kept like taking random things out of my car and she's like, no, your license and registration. I was like, I don't know. And I just like had her just dig in my glove compartment. I said, just take what you need. I, you know, I I don't know. I have a headache. And so there was some confusion because it was in White Plains, New York, but it was like, almost to the entrance ramp. And, and so there was debate on like which police to call, whether it was state police or local police. And so there was a very long delay before the correct people got there. And everybody was trying to get me to go to the hospital. Yeah. And which is pretty typical of people that have a brain injury. I refused because I, I had no concept of how badly I was injured. Um, I, I knew that something life-changing had happened, and I knew that this had something to do with all of these dreams that I had been having, and with me a couple hours earlier saying, just make it happen. Uh, but I drove home, and well, I didn't drive to my house. I thought I was driving to my house. I wound up in my parents' driveway, which was about two hours from where the accident was, and I, I was just completely out of it. 
when I got there, but I had a history in high school. I used to have hypoglycemic episodes. And so my parents just thought, oh, she, she needs to eat. We'll take her out to dinner. And so they took me out to dinner and I couldn't read the menu. Like everything was just swimming all over the menu. And they, again, they were like, oh, it's just hypoglycemia. And so the next day I woke up in their house and, and I was in my teenage bedroom and nobody was home. And I actually thought I was dead. And yeah. I mean, everything felt so weird. And I, there's a graveyard behind their house. You have to kind of go through this little forest area, area to get there. But I actually, I walked to the graveyard kind of in a daze trying to figure out, did I die? And I was looking for my tombstone because I just couldn't figure it out. Oh my Lord. Yeah. And then a deer saw me and it, it made eye cons contact with me. And so I thought, okay, this deer can see me. So I'm probably not a ghost. I'm going to go home and I'm, I'm going to call my parents. And if they both pick up at work and they both hear me on the line, then the odds are I haven't died. And so that's what I did. And I guess I was sounding really weird. And they were like, you need to go to the doctor. And so I got an appointment with my primary care doctor and I drove there and he diagnosed me with a concussion. And initially I was like, oh, no big deal. I've had lots of concussions. And he was like, what? They're cumulative. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, he told me to take two weeks off work. And I thought this was just hilarious. And I was laughing and a couple days later was when the, the really bad headaches began. And so basically I had what they called a migraine, but it, it was way worse than a migraine that lasted for 16 months without going oh away at all. Gosh. So did you think, I mean, did you know that your brain was functioning completely different? Did you know something had seriously gone wrong? I started kind of realizing that I, I was having missing time events. At one time I, I wound up at the library. The local library was about a mile away from my house and, or my apartment. And, and I just kind of like came to in the middle of the, the aisles at the library. And I was like, where am I? What am I doing? I had to totally deduce everything. And then I was like, okay, I don't have my car key. So I guess I walked and, and I, I went home and then there was another time when I thought, oh, I need some spaghetti sauce. There was a, a grocery store, you know, a five minute walk from the house. And I, I walked there and when I got home, an hour and 15 minutes or something had passed. And, and all I got was spaghetti sauce. And, and I was like, okay, how, how did that take so long? Like what, what was going on? And I remember just kind of staring at the spaghetti sauce. Cause one of the things that happened was um, my left brain, which is, you know, the decision making part, it yeah. just, it couldn't put the information together. So I'm saying I'm deducing things like, Oh, I'm not dead because my parents can hear me on the phone <laughs> or, Oh, I must've walked here. But, but that deduction process that normal people do instantaneously so fast that you don't even know you're deducing information. Yeah. For me, it was like a 15 minute process. Wow. So yeah. So what happened? I mean, did you, did you start, did you start to go to doctors and say something's wrong? You know, what, what is going on here? So uh, about two weeks after the 
the accident, maybe it was slightly less, but I just, I couldn't read afterwards. And I was an English major and this was my life. And I had not even a day before the accident said, I can get through anything in life as long as I have a good book. As long as I can read, if I were in a wheelchair, if anything ever happened to me, I would be perfectly fine as long as I could read. And I couldn't read. And and this did not feel like a coincidence. I was supposed to be an English major, you know, getting a PhD in English literature, and I could not read. And and this was in context of all these dreams telling me that that was the wrong path for me. But I'm stubborn. And so so the universe was... You, you know, this is not right for you. And I thought, okay, I'm going to find a way to read. And so I took this book, I was reading uh, Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises, I used to read it every spring, I held it in my hands. And I just I found if I just really stared at the page, and I, and I just like locked up my vision, then I could keep the print going. But the problem was, if I looked away, then the whole room would start spinning. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to read. And, and I'll retrain myself how to read. And I was fine while I was reading, but when I stopped, oh my gosh, the, the headache was just, uh, I mean, massive. And, and the room was spinning. And the next morning when I woke up, it was no better. It was actually way worse to the point where I thought I was hemorrhaging. So I called my dad, he lived about an hour away. And I said, dad, I'm going to leave the sliding glass door unlocked in case uh, in case I'm, you know, dead when you get here, basically, I don't know what's going on with my brain, but like there it's, my head is pounding so much. I think I'm hemorrhaging. And so he, he arrived, you know, probably flew up there and we went to the doctor, same doctor I had gone to initially. And he was like, I told you this was more serious than you thought. And he said, you have a migraine. And so they gave me injections to kind of quell that a little bit. And then a bunch of medication that I ended up being allergic to, but they set me up with a chiropractor because I had a pretty significant back and neck injury as well oh, yeah. and uh, physical therapy and eventually it, it this was a very very long process is is often the case with people that have a quote-unquote mild traumatic brain injury um, it's very hard to explain what's going on because a lot of times like I didn't quite have double vision I I basically was having a problem with double vision, but I could make it clear. I could, I could clear it so that it looked single. So when people were asking me, do you have double vision? I was like, no, but I really, I did. And that affects your balance when your eyes aren't working together. It affects your ability to read, your ability to deal with fluorescent lights. My balance was totally off. I was constantly falling all over the place. <laughs> and so time to admit that something needed changing, right? Yeah. So my parents made me move in with them for six weeks and, uh, and, and an owl kept me company on their back porch. And I just hung out with a black or with a, um, great horned owl for six weeks. I would just sit outside in the afternoon. I thought it was an imaginary friend. Honestly, I didn't know that it was real. And, uh, then one day my mom who collects owls was outside with me on the weekend. She's like, Laura, there's an owl. Is, is that an owl back there? And I was like, Oh yeah, he sits with me every day. I, I thought I was making him up. And my mom's like, what? This is amazing. And she's getting out the binoculars and everything. So I feel like I was kind of having shamanic training during that time. I was going to say, what, what's the, um, what does an owl represent in, you know, from an energetic perspective? Do you know? I don't know what I should, I'd have to look into it. So 
oftentimes an owl will show up when you're going through some kind of an initiation. Um, Feminine wisdom, the the, the Uh, dark feminine wisdom, the the night, um, a a lot with intuition, which I I lost my filter. I used to be able to kind of pick and choose my intuitions. and, And after that, I just totally lost the filter. And so I feel like I was kind of recalibrating during that time. Yeah, so did, I was going to ask that. So when when you were staying at your parents, and obviously you then realised, okay, look, something significant's happened. You know, something is changing here. Did you have all those senses, those clairvoyant senses, those you know empathic senses? Were they were they with you, or was just everything a bit of a jumble? Everything. Uh, the answer is yes. I did have those, and and they were really really strong and and confusing because again, a lot of times the information that I would be getting would be disagreeing with what people were telling me. And so I, which is still the case, but, but now I get paid for that. So easier people want that information if, if they're seeking me out. But at the time I was just being given information and, and I, I didn't want it, but it kept turning out to be true. And, And the pattern was that I was overstimulated by everything but uh, periodically I would get intuitive hits on people's health and, and it would be screaming at me in my head. And the migraine that was, you know, up here would go like up to here and, and it would pound and pound and pound until I would agree to call the person or relay the message somehow. And whenever I did, I'd get a temporary reprieve in, in the migraine, it, it would like go back down to, you know, this level. And, so I don't know if that was like shock therapy or what, but oh, no, it's so true, isn't it? Because the body, um, I was discussing this with someone else, and this is something from my teachings as well that I've learned, you know, because I studied as neurologist, natural health, natural healing. Um, and, you know, in a way, pain is good because it's a communicator, isn't it? And our body, it's the way our soul speaks to us. It's the way our higher self or the divine can speak to us through sensations with the body. And I know that's something that you agree with. It's, oh, it's yeah. a form of communication. So whether it be like a migraine or eczema or arthritis or, or cancer or, or, yeah, they're forms of communication to pay attention, aren't they? But I mean, Jesus, a migraine like that, I'd be like, okay, okay, what do you want me to do? Anything, anything to take the pain away. Pretty much. (laughs) So So, you started to take heed at that point, did you? I, as I said, I'm very stubborn. I I understand why people resist these things because I I was probably the greatest resistor to doing this path, which I now love. And and I consider my brain injury the best thing that ever happened to me. But... uh, it, it was quite a journey. And so kind of what happened was I was living, I lived with my parents for six weeks. I, uh, my apartment was an hour away. I was supposed to be going to graduate school that fall. I had to defer for a year. And my parents were like, Hey, we're driving you to all these doctor's appointments. You need to get more local to us. You don't have to move in with us, but we're finding you an apartment nearby. So I, I moved back to my hometown and, uh, and I had a little apartment, which I loved there. And, and I was in my, my little zone and, you know, everybody was kind of like, oh, poor Laura, her whole life is over. And I didn't feel like that, but, but certainly everything that I knew about my life was over. Sure. That's strange. uh, I started hanging out with some friends from high school that I hadn't seen in a long time. And uh, one of them was kept wanting to fix me up with a guy. And, and I was like, 
Tara, have you not noticed? Like I, I am, I'm not functional. Like I don't belong in a relationship right now. No, no, no. And she just kept at it. And then I started having all of these kind of what turned out to be psychic dreams about this guy. And uh, so I finally, I agreed to, to meet him. I got a really bad migraine that night. I showed up at the party. I recognized him. Like when, when we shook hands, he lit up, I lit up. And I was like, okay, that was weird. And then I went home. <laughs> and and uh, anyway, long story short, it, my friend convinced me, oh, just have coffee with him. And so we went out for tea. And it turned out that he had been living in the Seattle area and um, he was a helicopter pilot and had had just out of nowhere, like quit the job that he had and taken this job in Allentown, uh, about 20 minutes from where I was living. And uh, he didn't know why he moved across the country when after we met, we kind of realized, oh, OK, this is why, uh, because his mom had uh, specialized in she was a nurse and she had specialized in working with brain injury people. Oh, and so he word. actually knew a lot about brain injuries <laughs> and, uh, and having lived in Seattle, he was very familiar with alternative medicine. He was actually, even though he's ex-military was very into intuition and, um, much more comfortable with my intuition than I was at the time, but always validated it. And, um, he was actually the person that found the doctor that I ended up working for in Seattle um, initially I treated with this guy in Seattle and, um, and then he was like, well, you know, if grad school doesn't work out, you can come back here. I need to give my practice to somebody. I'm an old man. And, you know, I, I got to give it to somebody. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, oh, we've done this experiment. And, you know, the next three people after you, they have these miraculous healings every time the, that you're in the office. And I was like, mm, you're just really good at what you do. And he said, no, 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 we've mixed it up. We've been observing this. You come in three times a week and we purposely schedule three different people after you each time. This has been kind of complicated to do, but we've done this for six weeks now. And the next three people, you seem to like leave a residue in the room and they're having these big healings. And so, you know, if grad school doesn't work out, then come back here and, and, you know, you should be doing healing. And that was the message that I kept getting, but I certainly didn't want to hear it. <laughs> so. The doctor you were seeing, was he some kind of naturopath or was he a regular, I say regular, allopathic doctor or was he, yeah, was he, was he into intuitive healing? He was, um, he had been an herbalist for 50 years. Okay. He, he looked like the professor from Back to the Future, you know, the big wild white hair. <laughs> and, uh, he had been an herbalist for 50 years. He, he called himself a holistic optometrist mm -hmm. and he was a craniosacral therapist. And okay. that combination actually worked really, really well for me. Love cranial sacral therapy. Mm -hmm. It's so powerful, beautiful. Yeah. Okay, so you went to him to get better, and mm -hmm. he was saying uh, that must have been quite nice to have a validation that you know, no, you're not going mad. Yes, there is this brain injury, but the fact that it was also a calling. Did he recognize? Did he recognize that you were being asked by your higher self to follow a different path? Yeah, again, he recognized it and was more comfortable with it than I was, and this was kind of a theme for me. Uh, going through this process and 
Um, so I moved, I, I went to graduate school at Northwestern University. I moved to Evanston and I lasted three weeks, had to drop out, but there was another um, optometrist that specialized in brain injuries there. He was a little different. He wasn't an herbalist, but I did two years of treatments with him. And uh, just the way that everything got set up in Evanston, I knew all these academics that I had gone to grad school with for a couple weeks, but um, I kept meeting these shamans and craniosacral therapists and uh, Jungian psychologists and uh, some of my professors turned out to be mystics. And so one of my professors, uh, she was a medievalist who did research on Hildegard von Bingen and which I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. Are you familiar with her work? No, 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 I'm not. No. So she was a mystic who was also an herbalist and uh, they historians now think that she suffered from migraines. Um, she had very poor health and she was constantly having these amazing visions and she had an artist that would sketch out the visions that she had. Mm -hmm. And so my, um, my former professor was really interested in kind of picking my brain about this stuff because she was um, researching Hildegard. And so we became friends and um, she validated some of my intuitive sensing. And it just, it ended up that everywhere I went, somebody was validating things. And also people were, were giving me um, books on tape at that time they were on tape uh, books on tape, of, like Carolyn Mace, uh, uh, many lives, many masters, you know, things like that. that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. you know what's so lovely, isn't it? How nothing happens by mistake in life, you know, and this is, you know, people say oh, loosely, oh, you know, it must have been fate, but it really is, you know, everything is planned and engineered and steered and, you know, and it's phenomenal because obviously you meant, you were meant to do the work that you're doing. Wow. So carry with carry on with the story. So you started to get this validation. And when did you start? When did you get that point where you thought, yeah, no, I can do this? Uh, or well, I say, sorry, I interrupted there. I say, when did you get this thought where, oh, I can do this? You knew you could do it because you were constantly having, you know, um, intuitive thoughts. But were you at any point? When, when was the point where you, where you were going? I could make this into an income. I could learn. I could I could make this into a business and create a very nice life and an income for myself. Well, I realized it because obviously other people that I was encountering were making a living doing these things, but I still at that time was not interested in doing it. And okay. so I, I kept thinking, well, maybe I'll become a massage therapist. Basically, I, I wanted to have like a front for, you know, like a, a, a normal thing for all my quote unquote gifts. And, and I just I, I didn't want to have to actually own them. And so um, when I couldn't do graduate school anymore and I, I knew that I had a workers comp settlement coming, it was small and I was going to have just this one window kind of like, OK, you're either going to be stuck here forever or you're going to make a bold move. And so I had been having dreams to move back to Seattle. So I did. And uh, that was a whole synchronous unfolding. And I was doing treatments again with that doctor. Wow. And he said, you know, why don't you, um, you can apprentice with me. I'll train you in whatever I know about herbalism. It'll just be off, you know, off the cuff. This isn't formal, but he's like, you, you sit in, you'll be my assistant. And then 
I'll test you and, and you do medical intuitive readings on my clients and, and we'll just see how this works. And then I, I learned Reiki. I was going to go to massage school, but they had all these fluorescent lights and, and there's a lot of reading with massage school and, and I couldn't read still. And so, um, I learned Reiki and, uh, my Reiki master teacher who became my first husband, uh, he convinced, he's like, don't go to massage school, just do Reiki. You can, you can be trained in this. He's like, you're, you're just going to be doing energy work anyway. He's like, you're not really going to be doing massage. And he was like, just own it. And, and then I, I ended up, um, starting to get clients because the doctor was, you know, the, his clients liked me, like they, they liked the information that they were getting from me. And so they wanted to know, do you have a, a mechanism for a private practice? And I was like, Nope, I don't. And, and the doctor said, well, I'm, you know, my wife only wants me working two days a week. He was in the seventies. You know, I've got this office rented. So the other three days are yours. You, you can have this office and you just pay me $10 a time. He was like, I'll make it like a no brainer. And so it just kind of happened. And, and I gradually ended up doing that. I moved to Santa Fe and, um, and I started co-teaching with, um, the person that ended up becoming my husband, we were co-teaching for a while. And then he got Lyme disease after we got married, he got Lyme disease and he really couldn't teach anymore. And he had been a, a life coach and I was just doing medical intuitive work at the time. And he would have to make a lot of last minute cancellations just because his health was really bad. And so in, we would give people the choice of, okay, you can either have, you know, this extra time with Laura, or you can reschedule your session. And everybody kept having extra time with me. I think we, because I was new, it was like an hour and a half with me or instead of an hour with him or something. And uh, at some point he said, oh, I think you should become a life coach. And I was like, well, why would I ever do that? And he said, well, because you're coaching my entire coaching clientele. And I was like, oh, we're already doing it. <laughs> I guess I am. And so that's kind of how everything continues oh. to evolve. I would just find myself doing things and then somebody would be like, oh, why don't you do this? I'm like, why would I do that? And they're like, because you already are. <laughs> so. That's incredible. And so have you finally got to the point where you can proudly and comfortably say, I own it. This is what I am. This is who I am. You know, this, these are my gifts that I share with the world. Have you got to that point? Yeah, I and I I've been at that point for I don't know, 15 years or something. So um yeah, I I just I realized that the feedback that I was getting from people was consistently that it was helpful. And and even if people weren't having spontaneous healings all the time because healing is a process. Yeah. They were finding that that they were growing and and that they were finding meaning in their experience. And, and it really helped that I, I had been through the brain injury, that I had had a husband that had Lyme disease, that I had been through kind of a messy divorce. And um, these, so all of my challenges ended up being things where I could really meet people where they were. And even if I didn't know exactly what their circumstance was, I had something in my experience in addition to the gifts. And so I wasn't just like spouting nonsense to them. I, I was giving them my intuition, but I also had um, not just the empathic awareness of what was going on with them, but compassion, because I, I knew what it felt like to be in those positions and, 
And I know what it feels like to be kind of pushed really hard by the universe into, you know, one of these healing or intuitive paths. And, and oftentimes I see that same kind of path with other people that have brain injuries or Lyme disease or major autoimmune issues. It's like, they've got a leadership role, but they're not comfortable with it. And, and I get it. It's easier said than done to just be like, Oh, just go out and start doing stuff. 100% and it's so interesting because so my question because I know that you do um, astrology you do obviously relationship coaching you do life uh, leadership coaching you do life coaching um, you do you know past life um, readings so my question really is is with all of that and there's a lot of skill base there when you take a client for example and let's say something comes up and you you take a look at them and you you look at them and you say oh they've got cancer or they've got arthritis or something do you then get the information as to why they've got that and what they need to do to heal or is it a process of you say look this is what's being presented now off you go and find a you know find a healing modality to help you or do you do you get a sense of you know yeah, to, to be able to tell that person, that soul, what they need to do to overcome what they're going through. So it's very dependent on the individual person, the individual situation. For some people, it's it's just a confirmation. They already have a really pretty clear idea of what's going on and what direction they need to go, but they just need to hear it from somebody that doesn't know them at all, who isn't given any information at all, who can just spout that right back to them. And I find those calls are are really kind of fun. And a lot of times the stuff that comes out of my mouth, it's not really that meaningful to me, but it will be verbatim things that they've been hearing. So um, it, it depends though. I mean, there's some people where I can tell them, yeah, this is what you need to do. And I mean, I'm legally, I'm not allowed to diagnose or prescribe. So that's always a sort of tricky area, but sometimes I do get physical uh, modalities or physical remedies. Hey, research this or, you know, check out visual therapy or craniosacral therapy or something like that. But then I also get information on what's the emotional, mental, or spiritual pattern that needs to shift. And a lot of that is easier said than done, but sometimes I can just refer someone, oh, you know, do the artist's way program, you know, get, get Julia Cameron's book and do six weeks or 10 weeks of the artist's way and uh, contact me after you've done that. We'll see where you are. Other times it's very clear that somebody is really resonating with what I say and, and they're just like sobbing into the phone and, and really crying. And they feel like this is the first person as in me, uh, that I'm the first person that really understands where they're coming from, that I understand what's going on with them, that they're not making this up. Yeah. And, uh, for them, sometimes it's, it's supportive to have ongoing sessions because, even if they're getting additional treatment, they just need one person who's in their corner that is saying, no, you're not crazy. This, this stuff happens. And let's talk about those dreams that you're having, or let's, let's talk about these intuitive feelings that you're having that you feel guilty about having. And and let's unpack some of this. So it, it really depends on the person, whether it's going to be a frequent ongoing, you know, like weekly sessions or 
once every six months, or I have a lot of clients cause I've been doing this now for like professionally, it'll be 20 years in That's no 21 year, 21 years in October. That's um, yeah. So I have clients actually that, that I had as clients 21 years ago that still, they don't contact me regularly, but if there's a big transition coming up in their life, they want to make a move or a career shift or they're in a new relationship or something, they will book a session and check in. Um, and then I have other clients that, so I teach uh, a lot of Reiki master teachers through long distance. Um, that actually, I find that works really well as a correspondence course. And I sort of specialize in teachers that are already trained as Reiki master teachers, but they, they don't feel confident to teach. And so we kind of go over that. But then I also have people that I'm mentoring in astrology. So people that have learned astrology through an astrology school, but they're like, hey, I want to do it the way you do it. <laughs> and, and, you know, how, how do you make your intuition work with reading a chart so that you're not just doing everything, you know, left brain, but, but you're actually honing in on the important parts. It's incredible, really. What are your thoughts? I, listen, I'm totally with you on the whole mind body being and you know a diagnostic is often much more in much more emotional so that i always say behind every physical manifestation there is an emotional suppression um what are your thoughts about navigating the world that we're in which is you know um very much for allopathic medicine and you know you can't diagnose you can't when we know we know that this stuff works we know that herbs work we know that sort of you know um that the flower essences for example the bark flower essences and the australian bush flower we know they work and we know how powerful they are um do you get frustrated with the fact that you know there is this block of embracing, you know, alternative or preventive, I like to say preventative medicine because it's preventative, right? Do right. you get frustrated with the fact that, you know, you can't diagnose per se when actually you can see very clearly in front of you what needs to be done? More in my personal life than in my professional life. In my professional life, people want to hear what I have to say. And, yeah. and if I'm sharing something that sounds like a diagnosis. I just, I have to preface it by saying, this is not a diagnosis. This is just my intuition, but you might want to talk to your doctor about such and such, or, or you might want to look into this remedy. So I, I mean, it, it's a fine line. Mm. Um, I, I did start doing more astrology readings than just straight up medical intuitive readings. One, because I found I was using astrology so much in helping people to really find out who they were authentically and, and to really step into that. And that in itself is healing, but um, particularly people's North nodes. I found I was doing this over and over again. And so I thought, okay, I'm just going to open this up into just offering astrology. And so um, I did that in part because I, I'm, you know, the nerdy English major, like I, I love reading an astrology chart and you go through all the mythology and, and all the connections. It's very appealing to that side of me. So you, um, you put it in somewhere, right? You did. You yeah, did yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I also got into that just in case the, the 
you know, medical tyranny comes down really, really hard. And I'm just not allowed to do medical intuition at all because I, I periodically do get these emails from places like, oh, we're trying to get a board for medical intuitive work and we're going to standardize all of this. And I'm like, how, how do you standardize this? I've been doing this for 21 years and like, I wouldn't meet your standards because I haven't gone to this particular school for it. I didn't want this information. It just comes to me. And there's a lot more people like that than not. 100%. I mean, do you find it difficult to get so over here in the UK that there are various insurance companies for um, practitioners, you know, for alternative practitioners, natural healthcare practitioners? Do you have the same over there so that you're able to get, um, you know, insurance to practice? We do, but it's tricky because again, you, like if I were practicing medical uh, medicine without a license, even if, if I had insurance that was covering the things that I do, like it's not going to cover that because I'm not an MD. And so I, it, even if you have insurance, you, you still, you have to be careful. My, my main thing is I'm very intuitive. I don't have just a sign up form on my blog. I people have to email me and if I get a weird vibe from somebody's email or I feel like oh I'm I'm not the right person for this person, they should go to this type of practitioner or they should go to this person, then I mean I'm not hurting for business and so I'm I don't take people if I don't feel like it's a good match. And and for me that I just figured the right people will find me and um the hopefully the filter is such that the wrong people won't find me <laughs> so 100 and it's true isn't it it's it, who resonates i always say take your time do your research really find someone that you resonate with before you start working with them because it becomes a very important relationship and it needs to be built on trust and integrity and authenticity so it is it's really important but question for you so obviously you work a lot on the energetic and the emotional side but I read something on one of your blogs um, about healing the body, working on healing the body and looking at raw food nutrition. So do you tend to work so just, you know, physically as well as emotionally and energetically? Do you work on all all premises? Yeah, I mean, sometimes things are physical there. It's it really depends on the situation. I know some people are like, oh, there it's it's never just physical. And I find that's true. And you know, if you break your leg, it there's a meaning there. And and I always ask people, okay, what were you thinking about right before that happened? What happened? And usually it's something that I've told them right at the beginning of the session that comes back when when I ask them. And they're like, oh, it's funny that you said that. So, I mean, even things that seem totally physical, yes, there's, and, um, I feel like it's more like synchronicity, kind of like the, the whole world is linked. And so it's not so much causal necessarily, but if, if this thing is in existence, then these corollaries often also will go in existence yeah. yeah yeah it's so interesting and I ask about that because I was really I was particularly drawn to that um blog where you talk about I think it was Dolores Cannon had mentioned mm-hmm. you know a raw food diet um for, for optimum health and it's something I actually when I was training as a naturopath it was something that I got into which was raw fooding and 
um, yeah, a high raw food diet, lots of enzymes, because obviously for longevity and anti-aging, et cetera, and healing, you know, you know, alkaline green juices and what have you. It's but what's so interesting is um, have you read Conversations with God? Dr. Neil, Dr. Neil Walsh. I haven't, but my husband has the book and, and liberally okay. references it. And I'm, and I've, I've read excerpts of it, but I have no, I haven't okay. read it. Because I tell you why, because it's so interesting. There's a part in there. So this, the reason why I'm bringing this up is this whole thing about, obviously you've got the most, the emotional, the physical, the spiritual um, bodies and about looking after the physical body. So talking about diet and it's something I oscillate with all the time. Okay. So having been a hundred percent raw, a hundred percent vegan, a hundred percent meat eating, you know, the, the whole blinking gambit. And it's so interesting because, you know, you look at, you look at it logically and you look at, you know, to preserve the body and to work at a cellular level, obviously a diet in fruits and vegetables is, is it's, it's full of everything we need, right? Nature provided us with everything. And then you read books like um, with conversations with God. And even in there, there's this part, okay, this conversation going on between God and Neil Walsh. And there's a part in it where, Neil Walsh asks God about ill health or something about, uh, to do with health. And he says, well, what do you expect? You know, you fill your bodies with rubbish such as, you know, animal fats, animal proteins, you know, with too much sugar. And uh, he says, God says something like you, you give more attention to your car and that's not much attention than, than you do to your, to your bodies, you know, and, and that this is, we're designed for, you know, you should be having, you know, fruits, vegetables, nuts and seeds, etc. So promoting a, a plant-based um, predominantly plant-based diet, I would imagine. And then I read something about with Dolores Cannon saying that, you know, transitioning to 5d and moving to this, um, this new earth that, uh, that spirit do say as well that really that the kind of food we should be eating is more of a vegan plant-based diet and my question for you is what are your thoughts along that in terms of because you you hear other people who say that sometimes a body consciousness is needing meat because they're in predator mode and it's so confusing, I think, for people out there. Do you think there is a one or a standard that everyone should be working towards? I don't feel like there's one standard. And, and this is largely based on my medical intuitive work, but also on personal experience. So yeah, I was sure. super strict vegan for eight and a half years and, and raw vegan for most of that. And I loved being raw vegan. I was totally not in my body. And I mean, I was just like this hundred pound little fairy that, that like I, I ate my weight in food every day and, you know, never put on any weight. And, yeah. and I, mean, I loved it, but I, I had been living in the Pacific Northwest in Northern California. I, I wasn't supplementing with vitamin D. I got into a lot of problems with my teeth at one point and my bones were like, like a 90 year old woman's at one point. And so I, um, I ended up having, I was trying everything to, you know, enzymes and all of that. And basically it, my, my back was so mangled from my car accident that actually my, my digestive nerves are, pretty compromised. And, um, when I finally got x-rays 
this was like 2011, I hurt my back and, and I became friends with a chiropractor and, and we traded and, um, but she had gone hiking with me and, and we ate raw foods and all of that. And she's like, well, no wonder you're doing raw food. She's like, you, you wouldn't be able to eat otherwise. And so as my back has healed, I, I've, I've gotten a little more dense. I, I moved from Northern California to the Midwest and, and like I became the, the landscaper, right? So, yes. so I spent a lot of time gardening. I'm the most in my body that I've ever been. For a while, I was doing a lot of raw dairy, which really helped the teeth. I mean, I, it like popped out most of my fillings and um, the dentist was like, you never had cavities there. And I'm like, no, no, I did. <laughs> so oh. Yeah. So, so that was pretty amazing. I did some spiritual things with that as well, but, but for some people, raw dairy is, is a good match when it is. And, and then for me, there came a point where my body was like, okay, enough. I don't want any more of that. And, um, I do use collagen and fish oil just cause I found that, um, fish oil, my brain just feels a lot better. And, and having had as many brain injuries as I've had, um, especially, you know, the bad one, but I have had other pretty significant bangs to the head since, as well as prior. Um, I just, I prioritize my brain health. And for me personally, I can eat basically a vegan diet, a lot of raw diet, a lot of raw food and, and vegan freshly harvested from the garden. As long as I take a little bit of collagen and a little bit of fish oil, it's like everything seems to work and that's my balance. But yeah, yeah. It just, it depends on the person. I, I've had a lot of clients that were, you know, militant vegans that, that had been vegan for 20 or 30 years that just ran into major nutritional deficiencies. And that's not to say that there aren't people who can do that long-term with no problem, but a lot of them tend to live in sunnier climates where you're getting ample vitamin D naturally. And, and maybe they don't have, um, certain like genetic factors or other things going on. So it, it's, it's a complicated topic. And I also find that, um, vibrationally. So this was my problem when, when I moved to, um, Goshen, Indiana and, uh, to support my, my husband's parents, nobody could see me. Like I thought that people were so rude because we'd go to the store and, and I'd be waiting at the cash register and like, hello, hello. And, and like, nobody would wait on me and they're standing right in front of me. And then my husband would come up and, and they'd start talking to him. And then he would turn and talk to me and they would jump. Like, like they were completely startled and they said, Oh, I didn't see you. And I was like, I've been standing here for five minutes. In front and, of you. <laughs> yeah. So I found that when I ate more cooked food, it kind of like lowered my vibration enough. It made me dense enough that it was actually a lot easier to operate because it's, it's really inconvenient when <laughs> you're trying to go about your daily life and people, and, and it wasn't everybody. I mean, you know, maybe 50% of the people could see me, but like it was, it was an absurd problem, but it was really making my life very complicated. And so I thought, okay, I can remedy this just by eating a little more cooked food. And sure enough, it, like I could then operate and, and it was um, much easier. It's so interesting and fascinating, isn't it? Because there is times when the body consciousness 
wants that wants meat or wants you know and I think like you were saying about brain health I mean the DHA is so important for brain health and um, it's something that I do if I have more of a plant-based diet I still will have collagen and I'll still have my EPA and my DHA with my fish oils and I have like a really good strong dosage Um, but it's just a fascinating subject when you see things like because I think all of us you know, we're here to grow, we're here to evolve, we're here to learn our lessons, you know, life is a school, right? And you kind of want to do the right thing. So and you and then there's so much conflicting information out there. But I genuinely think I mean, I know the divine doesn't judge, right? We know that. So I genuinely think when when it comes down to physicality, sort of to, to something like diet, I think you're right, I think it depends on the individual the the, where they are in their life what's serving them and what they need you know and I guess the only thing you can do is to make sure if you're going to be having well I think really the diet should be as clean as possible so homegrown organic biodynamic um, same for the meat if you're going to have meat and fish you know buy the best possible don't go anywhere near factory farming you know get sort of biodynamic food and meat and bless the meat and you know enjoy basically because um at that moment in time your body needs it so I really I was interested in hearing your answer about that because I know that you mentioned the raw food on one of your blogs so do you actually eat meat as well I don't eat meat no you don't eat meat do you eat chicken fish no no okay <laughs> So you no, don't. I just, the, the only animal protein that I get is I eat eggs once a week, usually. Okay. And nice. uh, sometimes I eat some organic cheese and we know the farmer where we get our eggs from. And, nice. and then I take some collagen. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I just, for I'm me sure. personally, I do animal communication and like, it's hard for me to even do the fish oil and the collagen, but I know for, for how my body operates, like it's, I am the healthiest that I've ever been right now. And, and the most in my body and my bones are really strong. My teeth are really strong. And for me, those, those were challenges. And, um, I, I tried, as I said, I'm very stubborn and I, I loved being vegan. So, I mean, I tried every angle that I could, and I feel like in part, the reason that this is true for me is so that I don't, judge other people in my work, you know, there that so that I'm not coming from a particular dietary dogma that's like, no, this is the one way to eat. Because I know that that diet is it's a very charged topic for people, whether you have an eating disorder, or whether you really want to eat a certain way, but you can't. And and sometimes that's true for people that, um, you know, everybody in their family eats meat. It's, it's a real drag for them to eat vegan, but like their body's requiring it. Um, but then sometimes the, the flip side is true too, where, where somebody has been um, very set on, okay, this is the way to eat. And so a, an interesting thing happened. This was back in 2002. I, I taught a Reiki level one class and um, this woman who had been a vegetarian for 25 years she emailed me afterwards after she had her attunement and she said, you know, I, I have to ask you this. She's like, you, you know, there's the three week cleanse after you have the attunement. She's like, why am I wanting chicken? I'm obsessed with chicken. I've been vegetarian for 25 years. And all I do is think about chicken everywhere I go. I see chicken and I just want chicken. What do you think I should do? And I said, well, I, I think you should eat some chicken. Yeah. And so 
so she she got some chicken and she ate it and and the next time I saw her I said so how did it go and she said oh my gosh it was miraculous I ate the chicken and I said and how was it and she said oh it was delicious it was the most amazing thing ever and I said so are you eating meat now and she said no this is the miracle thing that happened I had the chicken and I realized why I was vegetarian, but I had to go through that process of being willing to eat it because I had just gotten locked in that this is the way to eat. And this, and she said, I had become this really rigid person, which she had. And um, she said, when I ate that chicken, something in me softened and I realized, oh, I'm a vegetarian coming from a place of love. And, and this is why I'm choosing to eat this way. It's not a should. It's a choice. And for me, it's coming from a place of love. And this woman, I trained her all the way up to Reiki master teacher. She transformed. She was so severe when, when she took her Reiki level one. And between that experience and then just all the Reiki, I mean, by the end, she got Reiki tattooed on the back of her neck and she was like wearing all these flowy hippie clothes. And she had just like completely transformed. But I always remembered that where, um, you know, had she continued fighting it, who knows how long she would have been stuck in that, but she leaned into it, had that one meal. And then it, it brought this just beautiful realization of, of why she was vegetarian. And it helped her to just live from a place of love rather than the shoulds. That's so fascinating. Talk to me about the animal communication. Cause you said that and my ears pricked up. So so obviously you can intuit with humans and how does it differ with animals? How does that um, communication differ? Unless they're cats, it's usually more straightforward. Cats will lie to you. <laughs> really? That's so oh, yeah. funny. <laughs> Why do cats lie? Oh, because they can get away with it a lot of times. <laughs> so, so they're just tricky. You can it. But um, yeah, I don't really list on my website that I do animal communication just because I mostly because a lot of times when people contact you, it's it's an emergency. It's like, oh, you know, my my dog is sick and I need to talk right now and it's 11 o'clock at night and it's an emergency. And I just I'm not set up to to deal with that on a regular basis. And so a lot of the animal communication that I do, it's it's only through referral. It's like, oh, OK, if you. If you're a current client or you know a current client and, you know, so, but that said, I, I end up doing a fair amount of it. And a lot of it is when an animal has passed and especially if the animal has died suddenly or if someone has had to um, kind of put their animal down and, and that's a heart wrenching decision for people to mm -hmm. make even if the animal's very, very sick. And, and so sometimes people will contact me before that and, you know, let's get the animal to chime in. Uh, is there anything to share? Other times uh, people will refer a friend to me after a, a loved animal died and, and they just, they need someone to help them with their grief. They, they feel like they didn't get to say goodbye. And so I can kind of facilitate that back and forth. It's, it's, pretty much the same as talking to a dead person it's just a dead yeah. animal so and you you've got to tell me something funny about a cat lying come on I mean give me something about a cat that's lied without breaking data protection for the cat of course well this is one that comes up a lot because a lot of times people have more than one cat and they know that one cat is peeing outside of the litter box 
And, yeah. and if I go and, and there'll be a suspicion of which cat it is, but if, if I ask a cat directly, are you peeing outside of the litter box? <laughs> I mean, it's almost never that they will admit it. And, or they'll be caught red pod, you know, doing some kind of behavior and and they're like nope I don't know what you're talking about and I, and then I have to kind of scan behind that and be like look come on I I know you're doing this so why are you doing this are you, are you if you're trying to relay a message here's your chance <laughs> so um, then then they tend to open up but they're they're very amusing that is so funny I love that so listen what would you say to people to the listeners who are listening to this show about taking autonomy for you know their lives for for healing so you know yeah for healing when someone finds himself in a situation whereby they're ill or they've had an accident and you and I both know that these experiences are there as a form of communication okay we know that it's it's a world we've lived in for for 20 plus years um, but what would you say is a nice, easy way for people to start leaning into that reality? So, you know, for the listeners going, okay, this is so interesting. So, you know, suddenly I've got some eczema or I've got a headache or what, what would your, not advice or tune in, but just a message for people, not, not, don't blow my computer up. <laughs> Do not want any intuitive messages, just like some physical, you and I are chatting there, like what, what's something good that you'd say to people? People to learn to trust because my work is all about helping people connect with their inner security with their inner strength and become their own authority so that that's really where what I do it's like taking saying to someone you have all the answers within and you've got the strength to do this but you know this kind of subject that we're talking about which is mind body being healing is a, a huge subject and as you and I both know there's a lot of people out there now who have lost faith, I think, in their own ability and are seeking outside of themselves. So what are maybe one or two things that are nice practical applications that someone could do to really connect, help them connect within again? What would you say? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, what would you say? Uh, So number one, I would say keep a dream journal, even if you don't dream. Uh, The act of starting a dream journal often triggers you to have dreams and pay attention to what you wake up with. So you may not remember the full context of a dream, but you might have a symbol, you might have a song lyric. um, and, And song lyrics are something to really pay attention to also. Like if you're in the car and, and you're really thinking of something and, and have a big question and then the radio comes on with, with a song that seems to be talking to you, it's talking to you. <laughs> it's, so um, dreams, but, but also approaching life like a dream. So sometimes people don't have nighttime dreams. They, they do, but they don't remember them. And often that's when I, my theory is that that's when you're working on something really, really deep and and you're processing it below the conscious level below the subconscious level even because you're not ready to deal with it yet and so then when it starts coming up to the dream level we're we're in the subconscious like it's kind of making itself known and there's a lot of richness there that i i find if people keep track of that they'll start noticing that um 
there's a, a vocabulary that's coming through in their dreams. And so it's not just, oh, I looked up online and this means this. It's like, yeah, but what does that mean? You know, what other times have you had the same symbol appear in what other dreams? Start paying attention to the patterns that are unfolding. And that goes for life as well. Sometimes uh, you'll have very strange events happen or you'll see a strange animal sighting or just the synchronicity. Of, and, you know, if you really sit back and think, well, what would it really have taken for all of those things to have come together right in that one highly charged moment? That's that's dream language. That's that's worth paying attention to. And you're, you're going to get rich information there. Um, the other thing is, is just, I, I'm a big fan of the serenity prayer. So oh, God grant yeah. me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So if, if it's something that you can't change, there's no point banging your head against that wall. It's not going to change. It would be good to know that information. Move on. Uh, but I if it is something prayer. that's beautiful that prayer and it's actually so true because actually you know if the door isn't ready to open it's not meant to be opened right if you're banging, yeah if you're banging your head against a brick wall and that door is closed you've got to trust that you're not meant to go through it mm-hmm. or, or that it's not the right time right yeah. I mean sometimes it is the right door but it's not the right time and so then the next part is is courage to change the things I can so asking, okay, what can I do? What's, what's the actionable information? What can I do? Maybe I can't go back to work yet, but I'm being led to, you know, listen to YouTube videos by somebody that's talking about raw food, or I'm, I'm being led to look into my North node sign and, and just read about that. Well, that's something, you know, do that. And, and when you've done that, then the next step will become more clear. And so that wisdom to know the difference, because what I find is often happening is that people are pushing, 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 trying to make certain things happen. And meanwhile, life is pushing, 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 trying to make other things happen. And if they would just kind of align their will. So um, Carl Jung has this great quote, which is troubling to me because I'm, I'm, I want to fully believe in free will. But the more I study astrology, the less I believe in free will. I, I feel like we can align ourselves and, and we have a choice of how we experience certain energies. But there's things that we came here to experience. There's 100 percent. So so Carl Jung's quote is free will is doing gladly and freely that which one must do. And I just find that that's, I just got goosebumps, but that that's like a guiding principle for me. (laughs) I love that because you're right. People talk about this free will, but you know, my understanding and from my research and looking into um, teachings and especially reading Julia Cannon's books, I mean, God, that woman's amazing, right? You know, is that the soul will have to experience, you know, the soul, you, you come down to, to, you know, overcome certain lessons or, or learn certain things. And there is no free will in that. And, and in fact, you know, with, with iridology, which is a, I don't know if you know about iridology, but it's medical diagnostic. And within the iris, you can see up to five generations, probably more, to be honest, of physical, emotional, spiritual, and um, mental information, both sides of the family, the paternal and the, and the, and the mother side of the family. And within the iris, 
everything's already mapped out. It's so, and they're known as time risk marks. And so it's not what happens to you, but it's actually how you deal with what happens to you. I love that, what you just said. In fact, I'm going to have to write that in the um, episode resources because that is beautiful because it helps you surrender, doesn't it? It helps you go, okay, I have free will, but I have to do what I'm here to do. Right. And, and maybe the free will just occurs pre-incarnation where, you know, that's when the choice is made. I, that's a philosophical question, but um, from an observational standpoint and also just, I mean, I, as I've said, I am very stubborn. I'm a fighter. And, and for me, um, surrender has been um, a real gift because the way that my life has unfolded, sometimes I I had to surrender because it was like, oh, uncle, uncle, okay, I can't take anymore. But now, you know, for the last probably 10 years or so, I've I've been living voluntarily from a place of surrender. You don't have to totally force me into things so much anymore. And, And just the gifts that unfold that way and the magic, I mean, just my my life is like this constant sprinkle of of delightful occurrences that it i just feel like it's because i'm on path and you know that is the path that i would choose now but i didn't know it initially yeah i'm the same i'm the same i've fought things and been really impatient with things and not wanted things and yet it's been for my highest good and it's been it's taken a battle of wills between my higher self and my ego 100% for sure you know and in surrendering into the situation and realizing it's for my highest good and sometimes frequently I'm always saying I did not choose this (laughs) this is no 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 this is not gonna happen and I'm like oh gosh why did I choose this you know so I yeah so that's lovely for you to say that for people to they're two really good things for people to just hold on to and start to just become more present right and become more aware so now tell me um how can people reach out to you if they want to work with you on a one-on-one and I mean obviously in today's episode what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave the um the the links to your website where people can reach out to you um is there a, you, you're not on so do you mind me asking why you're not on social media is it is it from a from an energy perspective mostly it's from an energy perspective i i had a facebook account for about a year that's actually how i met my second husband i uh-huh. i'm not opposed to facebook it played a good matchmaker in this bizarre life of mine but um yeah it was i would take periodic facebook breaks and and it would feel like like all of these things that were plugged into me, like got taken out and it felt like such a relief. Like I wasn't being siphoned off. And, and I thought, Oh, that's just my imagination. But I would get all these emails from people. I need my fix. I I need you to be back on Facebook. Why aren't you on Facebook? I need, I needed my Laura energy. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. Like, this is too much. You know, this is my energy. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Facebook and, and any more just with, with a lot of just how divided everything is. I just prefer to kind of not live in that world. Um, I was on Instagram for two weeks. Um, (laughs) That was just not, not a match for me. And uh, I think I was on Twitter for a few months, like in 2008 or something. I, you know, I have very speedy fingers and, uh, the internet is forever. And, and I, I'm actually grateful that I, 
um, haven't been on social media because I, I've just, it's, it's been me. And, and instead of spending a lot of that time, I've been in the garden, I've been connecting with people in person or doing sessions. What I found was that a lot of times people would be like, Oh, I just have a quick thing. And, and like, really they would need extensive coaching or something like that, but they just, they were getting that little fix and it, it wasn't really helping them. Right. And so I have my blog, which is, um, you can get to it from the website, asklaurabruno.com, A-S-K-Laura, L-A-U-R-A, Bruno, B-R-U-N-O.com. Um, it's also laurabruno.wordpress.com. And I used to have about five different websites and uh, everybody just always read my blog. And I thought, well, why am I having all these other websites if everybody only reads my blog? So um, I, I streamlined. Good for you. And actually, you're so right, because you can just become too fragmented, especially with someone who's as sensitive as you are. You know, I mean, you're picking up, I suppose, you know, when you're, you know, I mean, on social media, even though there's a, a barrier with a computer, you're picking up the energies, right? So you then become fragmented, which is just too much. So um, it makes great sense that you're just immersed in nature and your beautiful organic gardening and landscaping and then doing your work, which you're here to do, which is beautiful. And like you say, if people need you, they know where to find you. Mm -hmm. so, Laura, what can I say? It's been it's such a fascinating story because I hope and I'm, I know the listeners will be so um, inspired because, you know, when things go wrong in our lives or when we think that things are going wrong in our lives and accidents happen or messages are coming through, really, it's divine inspiration to say, uh -uh, change, you know, change track, change path. You're here to do something else. And so wonderful that you did do that because you're being of service to so many people out there, service to humanity with such a different way of being, which is fantastic. So I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It's gone so quickly. It's like, I know. <laughs> well, thank you. It's, it's been a delight. Uh, we'll have to do it again for sure. But um, thank you very much. And I will leave all the information in today's episode so people know where to reach out to you. And we will touch base again soon. All right. Wonderful. You have a wonderful evening. Thank you, Laura. Speak to you very soon. Okay. Bye. What a conversation that was. Did you enjoy it as much as I did? I hope you did. I don't think I'm ever going to look at a cat in the same way. That really made me giggle. That was so funny. So here we are at the end of this week's episode. If you'd like to reach out to Laura, her contact details are in the information um, in the episode notes. So please do reach out to her. I know she'll be happy to hear from you. We'll be back next week. It's Friday, so wherever you are and whatever you're doing, I wish you the most wonderful weekend. Please remember that you are beautiful, you're magnificent, you're strong, and you're needed here to rise up and inspire others so that we can all elevate the world that we live in. I look forward to connecting with you next week, but for now, much love.